Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome all of you to Foothills Christian Church. I really want to welcome all of you joining us church online or church at home and whatever you're doing. And it's just a beautiful November day with a little bit of rain here in the state of Idaho. And we're loving it. Now, the thing about Foothills Christian Church that's important to know is we are a church for people who are seeking uh, real answers to real life situations. And if you want to be a part of something big or bigger than just the immediate craziness that's, that's going on around you, then Foothills Christian Church is the place for you. Now we're in a series called Hashtag Blessed, and it's all about how to experience joy in the midst of the stressful situation that we find ourselves in. And today, what we're going to be talking about is confidence. And I just thought it would be really cool to remind all of you of something that happened in Super Bowl 23. And it was a really incredible Super Bowl. First and foremost, it was during the highlight of Cool Joe Montana, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And they were playing the Bengals, and the Bengals had a big grudge against them from being eliminated by the San Francisco 49ers year before. But what was really interesting is the Bengals thought, this is the Super Bowl, we are going to exact our revenge. Because going into this Super Bowl, the 49ers did not have their best record. They were like, I think, 10 or 6 or something like that. So they kind of just barely got in and, and worked their way up. And they got there. And it was a defensive game. Because they got in the fourth quarter, halfway through the fourth quarter, and it was tied 13 to 13. So not a lot of scoring the entire game. And about four minutes in, or four minutes left into the game, is that the Bengals got the ball, they pushed down, and they kicked the field goal, so they went up 16-13. And so what happened is they do a kickoff, three minutes left, and cool Joe Montana on his own eight-yard line takes his team that has not been able to move the ball very much the entire game out onto the field with three minutes left. And as they're huddling up, these guys are tired, they're nervous, and what does Joe Montana do? He gathers them together, and the first thing he says is this, hey, isn't that John Candy? And you guys, some of you may not know who John Candy is, but in the 90s, John Candy was the leading comedian on, in movies out there. You know, he and Steve Martin were making all these movies, and he was at the top of the box office. His story's a little tragic. At 43, he died of a heart attack, and, uh, but he was really, really popular. He's one of the biggest celebrities at that time. So here they are, everybody's trying to get their head in the game. And what does Joe Montana do? Is he says, hey, isn't that John Candy watching us play football? He said, in that moment, the, the O-line and all the guys kind of chuckled and laughed and they just relaxed. And what you saw was one of the greatest drives in Super Bowl history. He drove it 92 yards, scored a touchdown in the final seconds and beat the Bengals 20 to 13. That's called 
confidence right there. That is called confidence. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Why is confidence such a big deal? Well, first and foremost is bosses and employers, managers and supervisors all look for confidence. They don't look for pride. They don't look for arrogance. But what they like in employees and people who work with them and team members is confidence, a sense that they, they know they can do the job as it's laid out for them. The other thing is, if you're married, confidence is really, really important. I can't tell you over the last 30-some years in meeting and talking with couples is that if the husband lacks confidence, it tortures the wife. It tortures her because she's like, he doesn't have any confidence. He doesn't have any ambition. He doesn't have any sense that he can achieve anything. And so I have to carry the ball. I carry the water on everything. Then you talk to a guy And if he's married to a gal that is really needy and insecure and never trusts, he says, it's just the worst thing. It drains the life out of you. So confidence is really important if you're married. It's also confident. It's really important is this, is guys, if you're single, do you know the number one thing all research says that single women are attracted to? Do you know what it is? It's a six pack ab. Not. It is not. You know what? The number one thing that women are attracted to, it's confidence, right? It's confidence. And so I was thinking about this concept of confidence as I was studying Philippians and how it relates to joy. And confidence is more, it gives people more security. It gives people more peace in their life. And the other thing it does is it makes people more happy, And so that's what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be studying the direct link between confidence and happiness in Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians. If you have uh, a phone with you, download the phone app if you haven't already, and you can take uh, notes along with me as I'm laying out and all the fill in the blanks, all the verses Everything you need is in the message notes that you can get from our phone app. Also, if you're doing church online or you're watching this at a later time, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our subscriptions are going up and up and up, and it's really important that we get to a 1,000 or over because at that point, people who are searching will be able to find us. So help us out there. It's a great way to help the message of Christ get out beyond the state of Idaho. Now, One of the things I'd like to kind of bring up real quick is this, is why doesn't the church teach on confidence a lot? Because when I was doing research for this section, Bible study and so forth, one thing I noticed was this, there's not a whole lot of messages on confidence. And I think the reason why is because what we like to do, people who who do what I do, is they preach on humility a lot right? There's lots on humility. And for some reason, we have come to believe that confidence is kind of the opposite of humility. But Paul obviously doesn't think so because this passage of scripture is all about confidence. So if you want your baseline attitude to be one of joy, then you need to build your confidence. If you don't remember what the baseline attitude is, we, I bring it up every single week, okay? And that is this. 
most people focus on, wow, if something happens good to me, I'll be happy, right? And if something bad happens to me, I won't be happy. And what that actually means is that good things change your mood, right? Bad things change your mood. But what all research says is that eventually, sometimes very quickly or within a few days or a few weeks, you always return to what is known as a baseline attitude. And so if you really want to be a joy-filled person, if you want to be a happy person, you need to focus not on changing your mood, but improving your baseline attitude towards joy. And so what Paul does in today's passage of scripture is he gives us five principles concerning confidence and how confidence ultimately increases your baseline attitude. So let's jump in. Let's see what he says. Let's begin with verse one. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to read the verses and I'm going to point out these principles to you that are biblical. Okay. So we're just going to kind of go boom, boom, boom. Verse one, chapter three, he says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So now we know he's talking about what again? Joy, all right? This baseline attitude of joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord, okay? It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So joy is actually, what he's saying is a way of living. See, number one is you have to be, oh, let's go back one. There you go. You have to be what? Is you have to be reminded that it is what? A way of living. And then you have to safeguard your way of living. So basically reminded and protected if you want to work on your baseline attitude. Now, there are inside and outside things that can influence your baseline attitude. Case in point, addictions. Addictions are a big deal that really will influence and undermine your confidence, which influences your baseline attitude. So you need to safeguard against those things. There are outside influences. You know, that may be more of an intrinsic or an internal thing. An outside influence may be a worldly idea that comes in and you kind of adopt it because you think it sounds right. And it confuses you a little bit. Or maybe it's a cultural principle. You know, the culture pushes a principle really, really hard and you really try to adopt it and you think maybe it's true and it ends up undermining your confidence. And that influences your baseline attitude. The other thing is temptations, right? Sometimes outside influences, just temptations that we, we know they're not good. We know they're not, but we're tempted towards them anyway. So joy is a way of living and you need to be reminded of it's a way of living and you need to protect your way of living. And if you don't stay away from these inside and outside influences, it can undermine your confidence. Now, how do I know that? Look what he says next in verses two and three, okay? Now, this is gonna be sound really interesting and I'll explain to you why he says it, okay? But watch out what he says. He says, watch out for those dogs. Now, you don't hear this very often coming, you know, uh, that we're, you're out there calling people dirty dog, right? Uh, but that's what Paul's doing. He's calling somebody a dog, right? And he, he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the 
flesh. Now, who in the world is he calling a dirty dog, an evildoer, a mutilator of the flesh? Well, here's who he's talking about is that Paul would go and he would plant a church and he would talk about Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now he extends to us through redemption, the power of his blood, the righteousness of God. And so what happened is there were a group of people that had heard about Jesus, believed in Jesus too, but they taught something different. They added to the gospel. And you know what they added to it? Since they were Jewish, they were called Judaizers. And they said, you know what? If you want the grace of God in your life, if you want God's righteousness in your life, you not only have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to convert to Judaism. And this was written to the people in Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And so it was filled with Gentiles. And so all of these people in this church in Philippi were being taught and told that, hey, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you have to get circumcised. Now, just imagine if you're a 35-year-old guy and someone says, hey, the cost of a mission to eternal salvation is circumcision, you're saying like, I wish it was a haircut or a tattoo because you kind of lose me there, right? And so what happened is these people started to think, wow, we want to know Jesus so much. We, we believe in Jesus so strongly, but you mean we got to get circumcised too? So their confidence was being what? Undermined. It was being called into question. And so Paul, he spares nobody's feelings when he says, those people are dirty dog evildoers who do want nothing but to mutilate flesh. I mean, that's pretty disgusting is what he calls them. And then notice what he does. He says, for it is we who are the what? Circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So what is he saying? He's saying your confidence that influences joy is, is influenced by the strength of your confidence. So all joy is influenced by confidence. Now, What's amazing here is these people were trying to undermine their confidence. And what happens is Paul says, I want to affirm your confidence. Okay. So the first principle, uh, you know, we talked about verse one, it's a way of life. Number two, joy is all about your confidence. So we're starting to see this progression of ideas, right? Now let's read verses four and six and see, see what he says. Okay. Verse four says this, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now, isn't this an interesting phraseology? He says, look, these guys are dirty dogs and they say that they have confidence in what they're doing, but I can play their game and I can play it better than any of them. And this is what he says. I have reasons to be confident like them. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. You want to play that game? Well, I'll outdo you and let me show you how. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. Look, I'm just not Jewish, but I know what tribe I come from. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know what? I knew exactly what the law said and I did it. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. I mean, I was a lawyer par excellence when it came to the law. He says, as for zeal, as a person who really believed it, devoted, he says, I persecuted the church. That's how committed I was to the law and Judaism. As for righteousness based on the law, I was absolutely faultless. And that's what he's saying is that I played that game and I was better at it than anybody else. But you know what? I did not have the confidence that I actually knew God. And so Paul's saying, you know what? You can try and build your confidence based on your achievements. You can try. And I think the reason that we try and do it is because we know something about our own lives. One of the things that's important to understand is that children build confidence by doing things. There was a period of time, and, and we all saw this for a little bit, and that was is that children, uh, we thought, if you tell them they're great, you give them ribbons for just showing up and trophies and you awards, then that's going to build confidence, right? Their esteem is going to grow. Excuse me. The problem is that turned out not to be true. All that does is turn them into spoiled brats. Yeah, well, I'll shoot you straight if nothing else. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. You, if you just tell kids they're super awesome and they don't do anything, you know, then they grow up, they become early into their tweens, you know, like 11, 12, 13 years old. And they're just like, I mean, they have no confidence at all. You know, that's how you produce what our society calls a snowflake, okay? A snowflake that as soon as it hit, hits any type of adversity, it melts. And that's where the terminology comes from. What they found, though, is that children actually develop confidence when they do things for themselves. This is why having chores for your kids, especially when they're little, is probably one of the best things that you can do for them. And, and making them do their chores. You know, have you done your chores? Well, no, you can't have a treat or you can't have a cookie. You can't do this until you do. You can't watch your TV show or play on the iPad until your chores are done. Because you know what that does? That teaches those kids confidence over time more than anything else. And then when they become teenagers and you say, it's time to do your laundry, learn how to do it, they go, okay. You know, you got to clean the table and load the dishwasher. Okay. And then your kid goes over to somebody's house and they eat dinner and then they go to the parents and go, hey, can I help you clean up? And those parents fall on the floor because they've treated their kids like snowflakes. And then they write you this letter and go, how in the world did you get your kids to do that? And you send them back and you say, well, because I know everything. <laughs> no, you don't say that. Yes. Well, I just had them do chores when they were four. Kids, kids have confidence. They go to school and, and they get in a class that's hard. And guess what? The teacher stands up and goes, okay, this is a hard class. You're going to have to do this, 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 this. And that kid that had chores and has confidence, they've never done that, but they go, I can do that. I can do that. You see, confidence comes by doing things. However, when you become an adult, if you base your confidence on achievement, ultimately, you can lose your confidence. 
I'm a fan of history, and one of the historians that I like to read is Stephen Ambrose. He's a national treasure in America, and he wrote extensively on World War II. And one of the things that he is most famous for is his historical account called The Band of Brothers, which was a historical uh, uh, account of the 101st Airborne, how it was formed, how it dropped in on D-Day, and then its march to the end of the war at Birch's Garden. And one of the characters that he talks about in the Band of Brothers is a man by the name of Shifty Powers who grew up in the backwoods of Virginia. And his dad in the backwoods of Virginia uh, was an excellent marksman. And before Shifty joined the 101st Airborne, he could take a coin, he could throw it in the air, and then he could shoot a hole through it with a rifle. If you've ever shot before, you go, wow, that's impressive, you know, and it is. So he was known as a marksman, the best shot in all of the 101st Airborne. One of the things that his claim to fame was is this, is during the Battle of the Bulge, and the Battle of the Bulge was, there was a hard line, okay, that the Allies had set up, and the Germans thought we could put all of our um, energy into one push to get to uh, fuel dumps and ammo dumps, turn the tide of the war. And so they tried to break through the line in one last-ditch effort to try to turn the tide of the war in World War Two. And you know what happened? They ran into the 101st Airborne at Baston. And so they held there in the worst conditions. They would not break. Well, during that period of time, uh, Sergeant Lipton was the, the sergeant for the entire company. He was kind of like a staff sergeant or, or some type of sergeant there over everybody. And Shifty came to him and Shifty said, hey, uh, Sergeant Lipton, there's a tree over there that wasn't there the night before. And I think it's a German artillery battery. And Sergeant Lipton looks at him and says, how can you know that, Shifty? That tree is a mile away. It was a mile away. And he says, I guarantee you it wasn't there last night. So Sergeant Lipton goes back and Sergeant Lipton says, I think we, I know we don't have a lot of ammo, but I think what we ought to do is we ought to drop a couple of artillery shells on Shifty says there's a tree there that wasn't there before. They lobbed one shell onto that thing. And you know what happened? All these Germans ran out. And, and Sergeant Lipton said that night, Shifty saved the lives of hundreds of men in Easy Company because we were in the line of fire for that thing that they had set up and they were going to decimate us. One of the things that really fascinated me about Shifty is uh, in the HBO special, The Band of Brothers, they interviewed the actual men who were in, and and Shifty was still alive, and they interviewed him, and he was talking about his life, and he was reminiscing back, and he said, during that time in my life, when I came back from the war, he said, I had confidence that I could do anything. And the hardest part about my life now is that I've lost that confidence. He says, I've lost it, and I miss it. If the best among us can lose their confidence, the reason why is because when we build our confidence 
on our achievements, we don't end up doing what? Having a transcendent confidence. To be authentically joyful in all circumstances, build your confidence on something more. Now let's read verses uh, 7 through 11 and see how Paul addresses this very issue. He says, but whatever gains to me, now notice what he's doing here is he's saying, instead of building my confidence on my achievements, all of these were gains to me. He's not saying that um, I shouldn't have done them. He's just making a value statement. Look what he says. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider what? Loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything in this life a loss. In other words, it's not as valuable as something else because of the surpassing worth. Oh, what's more valuable? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Jesus and be found in him. And this is what's so valuable to Paul not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's not a righteousness based on my ability to achieve. He goes on to say, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness, this is very important, a righteousness that comes where? From God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If you really want to be a confident person, build your confidence on Jesus because he transcends you. Paul made a choice, and his choice was knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection is more valuable to me than anything I will ever achieve in this life. The reason why it was so valuable to him is because he says, I don't want a righteousness of my own. And I think that that subconsciously is a struggle for so many people in our world today. Is so many people are trying to prove their value. Every human soul needs to have a sense that it matters. You have to be affirmed that you're a human being and you matter. The problem is, is everybody's trying to prove they matter to themselves on their own standards. And that's why we have so much conflict and so much division and so much hatred and so much competition in our world is because people are trying to have a righteousness of their own as opposed to a righteousness that comes from God. There's a man by the name of Bob Buford who wrote a book called Halftime. And in it, he just makes a simple kind of uh, proposition. You know what that proposition is? It's simply that we start off, particularly as men, trying to strive for success. That's our biggest thing, strive for success. Because we think if I'm successful, then I'll be happy. If I'm successful, then I'll be fulfilled. If I'm successful, then I'll feel, I'll have meaning in my life. And he says, in the first half of your life, you kind of live that way. And then something happens is you start succeeding and you realize all the successes that you wanted and you achieved don't do what you hoped they would have done to your soul. 
That's why you have to move from striving for success to striving towards significance. He says, if you just live for success your whole life, it'll undermine your confidence. But when you start living for significance, you start discovering how to live for something bigger than yourself. And that's where confidence comes from. And that's what Paul's saying. The most valuable thing in my life is not a righteousness of my own. It is a righteousness that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. And then he finally caps it off in verses 12 through 14, telling us how this really impacts your life, okay? Notice what he says in verse 12. Look, I have not already obtained all of it. In other words, I now know what I value and I want to live for. I'm not quite there yet. I haven't obtained it yet. I have not already arrived at my goal. So I'm not perfect yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Transcendent confidence is the best way to live. Why is it the best way to live? I'll tell you why. Is because you cannot on this earth figure out how to live this way. Press on and forget what lies behind. Every human being makes mistakes. Every You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. We're going to make more mistakes, right? The problem is, is how you deal with your mistakes will determine how strong your confidence is, right? It's our past failures, our past regrets, our past mistakes that undermine our confidence, which end, uh, ends up lowering our joy baseline. And so what is happening today is, is that very few people know how to forget what lies behind. If I were to ask you, could you tell me what your 10 greatest successes are? You'd have to sit there for probably five, 10 minutes, and you'd probably get like two or three, and then you'd start going, hmm, hmm, yeah. You'd have to think about it, right? But if I said, can you tell me the 10 things you regret the most? It takes a second to think of them. They pop into your head quicker than anything else. As a matter of fact, you can, you can be an adult. I, I was talking to someone recently. Uh, they've been married like five or six years. They had just gotten pregnant with their first child and they were talking to their parents and they just made a comment. It says, it's strange. Here I am, I'm married, I have my first child and my parents can make me feel like a middle school girl in 30 seconds. They could take me back to it in the blink of an eye. And why? Because our past mistakes, those past feelings, the things are so hard to let go of. And so I find very few people who actually know how to do this. And the reason they can't do it is because they don't have the confidence to do it. They don't have the confidence to do it. Why don't they have the confidence to do it? Because their confidence is based on their own achievement. It's not based on what? Knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So my challenge for you is simply this, is I want you to build a transcendent confidence because it's the best way to live. And I want you to figure out how to let go of the past and press on towards the thing that Christ has called you to. 
And so build a transcendent confidence and you will be a happier person. And that's what I want for you. I want you to be a happy person because that's what Paul is telling and teaching us. He wants us to be happy people. So how do you do that? Well, here's some basic steps that you can take home with you today. Number one is you need to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have not started a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, now is the time. There's a booklet on our website. You can go to our website, and on one of the tabs, it says resources. You can then uh, pull that thing down and download a booklet. It's free. It's called How to Connect to Jesus Christ. You need to start a personal relationship. Last week, I talked about taking it seriously, and you need to do that. The second thing is if you've already started a personal relationship with Jesus and you want to build your confidence up in Christ, well, then you need to do this. You need to start determining your true authentic values. This is not hard to do. I think every person should do this once a year. You sit down maybe on your birthday or Christmas time and just write out a simple draw line down the middle and over here, what I say I value. And then make a list. I value my marriage. I value my kids. I, I value being a, a good uh, employer, a good business owner, a good whatever. I value my church. Blah, blah, blah. And then on the other side, write down, what does my lifestyle say I value? You don't need to show anybody this. Please don't. All right? Just keep it private. But yeah, don't wad it up and throw it in the trash because your wife will go and pull it out and go, aha, I've got some stuff now. No, I'm joking. But uh, burn it in the fireplace. Um, but, but why you should do that is because that builds your confidence. You see, that builds your confidence when you self-evaluate. That's why every time we do the Lord's Supper in church every week, guess what? It's all about examining yourself. Not to feel guilty or ashamed. That doesn't have any spiritual value. But to see and build your confidence that you're living life based on what you believe that you value. The third thing you want to do is then set goals that are aligned with your heavenly values, not your earthly values. That's a, that's a big deal because if you want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection in your life, then set goals to experience that in your life. My friends, confidence is key to joy, but confidence can't come from ourselves or this world. It only comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So let's start there and never forget it. It's because Paul started this entire passage by saying, telling you this is a good reminder and we should always be reminded. Now, let's see what Jason has for us as we close. Now is the time for you to take your next step in your journey of faith. If you need someone to pray for you, text FHPRAYER 97000. Do you feel God calling you to get baptized? Well, now is the time. Simply text FH Baptism to the same number, 97000. Finally, don't let another week go by without connecting in a small group for the purpose of discipleship. This is how you can really grow in your faith. If you're doing church at home or hosting a watch party, use the discussion questions to further the conversation. If you're on campus, stand up for closing prayer. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.